Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from The Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. This podcast is being released in mid-May. It's a time of transition for many families with students perhaps graduating from high school and going to college or maybe graduating from college and entering the workforce. School changes and even changing back into new routines out of the pandemic. It's a time of transition. We need to discern God's will during these times. Michael Lindsay of Gordon College, soon to be at Taylor University, offers some insight on transition. Then, the presidential prayer team has been motivating Christians to pray for our governmental leaders and had a special effort taking place around this year's National Day of Prayer. In an interview aired on Faith Radio that day, Jim Bolthouse, leader of the team, provided some information. And on this edition of The Intersection, you'll be hearing from Kimberly Holmes of Marriage Helper. In a recent conversation, she used examples of high-profile relationships in order to provide principles for married couples to apply in their homes, principles that are consistent with biblical truth. You'll be hearing material from that conversation. Finally, you'll be hearing comments from Kay Wyma, who has discovered how to experience peace even in the midst of turmoil and is encouraging people to make that pursuit a regular part of their lives. You'll find out more about that initiative ahead. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Michael Lindsay is the current president of Gordon College near Boston and is the president-elect of Taylor University in Indiana at the time of this release of this podcast. When we spoke, he was in the midst of transitioning from one position in Christian higher education to the next. But prior to that, he had studied the stages of transition and offers some biblically directed responses. He's written a book called Hinge Moments, Making the Most of Life's Transitions. From our recent conversation, here now is Michael Lindsay. Well, in the book, I talk about there being seven phases of transition. And the early phases are when we begin to discern Maybe God's calling me to something else. And uh, it's also kind of like that, that phase when uh, a couple is pregnant, expecting their first child. You're going through sort of a gestation period where you're beginning to think, okay, life's going to be different, but I don't know exactly what that difference is going to look like. For me, it was a process that took about a year where I would get just different signposts from God, conversations with friends. I'd listen to a sermon or read a book, and it would seem to me that the message was coming across that I ought to be prepared to step away from my current job. And that was a really scary prospect. I, I love what I was doing, and I didn't really want to give it up. Um, but then I thought, well, maybe it's kind of like the story of Moses where he's told to throw down his staff. He does that, and then he turns into a snake, and then he's told to pick up the snake, and it turns back into a staff. I thought perhaps that's what's going on in my life. But in uh, in the grand scheme of things, actually, the Lord was really calling me to be willing to, to give up a position that I loved. Sometimes you have to be willing to let go of what you have in order to be able to receive an even bigger gift of God's um, vision for your life. And I found that to be true in my own journey. So there was a period of about five or six months after I had made the decision to step away from the job at Gordon but didn't yet know where I was going next, where I was sort of in this low phase. In the book, I call it the intersection phase or the liminal phase, where you're sort of between and betwixt. You're, mm. you're not yet settled and uh, it's in that season that things can be tough and challenging. And so in the book, I talk about some ways to sort of respond to it. And then eventually we get a sense of where we're going. 
and we move into the landing phase. And then it's all up from that point, which has been really great. We were talking about kind of the the front end, if you will, the the stages of discernment, anticipation, and intersection. You also have, then you said, the landing stage, and things go up from there. And I understand those remaining three are integration, inspiration, and realization. So out of those seven, is one more important or more critical than the other? Well, the low point, uh, the intersection phase, when you are sort of concluded that your current chapter is ending, but you've not yet opened the new chapter, that's the hardest. But it's also the most important because the angle of your trajectory that you're going to go from here is most likely to be shaped in that intersection phase. So the reason I wanted this book to come out now is because we're actually going through a societal-wide hinge moment. We've, hmm. we've had the, you know, the, the public health crisis with the pandemic. We've had the economic crisis with what, you know, what it's done for our economy. And we've also had the political, the cultural, the racial tensions we've experienced in the last year. But we're moving into the resolution and to the recovery phase. And so it really matters how the Christian community, how churches are going to respond to all of this. And the moment uh, we can actually shape the likelihood of how the gospel received, how the message of Jesus will be received in our community by how we respond in the recovery. So it is in our own life that when you're in that low point, when you're just about to move into that recovery or into the next phase, that's when you're most likely to have the biggest impact of how successful you'll be over the long haul. Where do you see the church heading in what is most certainly a transitional moment for it? You know, I think that the, the most potent form of Christian witness is when we're willing to sacrifice some of the perks and privileges that everybody assumes we rightly uh, deserve, and when we're willing to really be committed to serving and blessing other people. So many examples during the pandemic of churches that have um, been willing to try and bless and serve their local community. I really applaud that and think that that's the, the right direction. What we've got to do is we've got to lead the way and help our community, help our, our nation, help society to recover from the pandemic. This has been a whopper of a year, and I think that um, there's a real opportunity for people to see that the Christian community really cares. There's a sociologist named Rodney Stark who mm-hmm. wrote a defining book called The Rise of Christianity, and he basically concluded that the reason that Christianity spread in the Roman Empire the early church years was because Christians were known to be more caring, more loving. They actually nursed people back to health and demonstrated love and kindness and compassion when the rest of society would throw people away. That's exactly what we have to do in this season. And even as you know, the pandemic subsides in the United States, globally we know it's going to be an, an issue for probably years, to be perfectly honest. So there's, there's going to always be opportunity for the church to be on the uh, front line of caring and bringing Christ's redemptive love to a world in need. Michael Lindsay here on The Intersection. You can find him through gordon.edu or taylor.edu. Next up on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's the president of the presidential prayer team, Jim Bolthouse, in an interview aired on Faith Radio on the 2021 National Day of Prayer. He discussed the efforts of the team and its opportunities offered for people to join together on that special day. Here now with some insight is Jim Bolthouse. The purpose of the presidential prayer team is to call people to pray for our leaders and for our nation. We've been doing that since um, 
uh, September 18th of 2001, just a week after our, our national disaster, we became uh, a focal point in our country and grew quite rapidly because our country during that time of attack uh, needed so much a focus of prayer. And um, God allowed us at the right time in the right place to make that happen for our country. And it's been going and growing ever since. So as one goes and, and interacts with the Presidential Prayer Team website, you are kept uh, abreast of not only what is taking place with respect to the president, but also a number of leaders. I know that you just finished the 100-day the prayer effort. You also had an effort that was centered on new members of Congress. So give us an idea about the, the type of things that you are praying for regarding our government. Well, it's it's reciprocal because of our government is always changing. So every two years we see new people coming into Washington, and we found that we needed to um, help install them into their position of authority through prayer. So we developed a, an, an initiative called BOLD, which is an acronym for Beside Our Leaders Daily in Prayer. It's a bold effort to pray out daily for each of our leaders, especially the new ones. And, and likewise, this year is the same with a new administration and, and cabinet and so many changes that are going on in the White House. There's quite a bit to pray about. So anytime a president comes into office or is um, re-brought uh, back into office, um, we spend the first 100 days praying through their first 100 days of activity, uh, making sure that whatever they're doing in Washington is well covered in prayer. As I understand it, last year you actually offered some prayer rooms on the National Day of Prayer, and you have have altered that, no pun intended, just a bit. But you you give people the opportunity to actually weigh in on various issues and to pray for these various areas. So talk about how that is working for you guys this year. Well, the prayer team has um, expanded itself. It used to be pretty much electronic by media of um, website and email. We have one of the largest email uh, sendings uh, in, in the country with uh, emails going out by the millions. Um, and that's how we keep in contact with our prayer partners. Last year, leading up to the National Day of Prayer, of course, our country went through a, a, a devastation of this COVID virus. And a lot of public events that were planned, many, many for months, had to be canceled. And uh, we heard from pastors, we heard from Christian leaders saying um, the presidential prayer team is set and ready and capable to pick up as best we can the National Day of Prayer's activities and bring it online, allowing people in their homes or in small groups to come together and, and pray using the media of the Internet. So what we have had for several years is a single prayer room where people can post their prayers and others can pray along. Last year, uh, we ended up expanding that because we knew we were going to get quite a bit more, and we did. We broke all records last year. It was the largest prayer rally online in U.S. history. Mm. This year, we're expecting to do the same, if not greater. And we've expanded it out from two prayer rooms to several prayer rooms. The rooms that we're doing this year are a little more thematic. Uh, for example, if you want to be praying for public servants, you'll be in one room. If you want to, be, if you're a church and you have 
you want to pay for pastors and for other people in your church, you'll have a room. Um, religious liberties, if you want to pray for those, there will be a room. And if you want to pray just for our communities, there will be a room for that too. And the way this works is you go in, you, you sign up so we know who you are, and then you post a prayer. That prayer is then broadcast to the entire country, and other people can come along and say, I agree, and they can click on a little button that says, I prayed along with you, hmm. and, and confirm the fact that they're praying with you on that topic. So it's really interactive. Um, and that's just one of, oh, I'd say about five different things we offer. We have an a, a audio and a video 10-minute prayer guide. Jim Bolthouse here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to presidentialprayerteam.org. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center. That's where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on The Intersection Podcast. Also, there are links to the podcast through the Meeting House homepage. You can find the feed free through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. And you can follow me on Twitter at Access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Conversations from the Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Search for Faith Radio Podcast when you visit Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Well, I had the opportunity recently to talk with the CEO of Marriage Helper, Kimberly Holmes. In our conversation, she used examples of high-profile relationships, including a major divorce announcement shortly before the interview was conducted. These examples were used in order to provide principles for married couples to apply in their homes, principles that are consistent with biblical truth. From that conversation, this is Kimberly Holmes now. I believe it's very unfortunate that they have said that they don't see themselves being able to grow together into their future because... Number one, I don't think it sets a good precedent or model of what a long-term relationship should look like because number two, it's just not true. Couples can live and grow and continue to grow together for decades until, until death do us part as it should be. And so to say that, that we just don't see ourselves growing together I believe is, I don't think it's the true story, but I also don't think it's the example to set. I, I believe what has happened is that this divorce, this split and separation is more than likely the result of their very successful lives and careers. For the past 27 years of them being together, Microsoft has grown, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And while you could say they did that together, they still were focusing on their own interests, their own things. And what we know from research is that when couples do things that that take them apart from each other, only focusing on their interests, their work, their careers, then it will take them apart. And unless they're intentionally doing something to bring them back together, having a shared mission, a shared value, then couples can kind of wake up, so to say, one day, especially after the kids have left the house, they're entering into a next chapter of life, and then look back and say, I don't know that I even know who you are anymore. I don't even know that I like you. Maybe we would be happier apart but they're never actually happier apart, maybe in the short term, but the best thing they could do is work on the relationship, recommit to being committed, 
and do the things that will bring them back together in order for that fulfilling, long-lasting marriage. I want to shift to a couple about whom you've written recently, the foxnews.com column that you wrote. And there are many who have been saddened by the death of Prince Philip, longtime husband of Queen Elizabeth. What have you observed about this marriage, which is really a, a testimony to people all around the world? Absolutely. The number one and first thing that this marriage has is commitment. They decided on the front end that this was something that was worth committing to, and it was something that they were going to commit to even during the hard times. They were married 70 years. They've been together over 80. They've known, she knew Prince Philip. Mm. Queen Elizabeth met him when she was 13 years old. Wow. And so once they got married, they did, like you said, at the beginning of their marriage, there was wars. There were things that happened that they had to endure and go through, but they were committed to making it work, even with allegations of affairs and infidelity on Prince Philip's part. They still chose that this was a marriage they wanted to be committed to because Divorce in their mind was not an option. We know from research that the minute that a couple introduces the word divorce into their conflict or their fights, that it has already started to erode the commitment in the marriage because it brings it up as an option. Now, I'm not saying that there's not situations where divorce might need to happen for safety and well-being, but I believe that the majority of the time, most relationships can work through these things and make it work, and that divorce is even thought about way too soon. The other thing that we see with Prince Philip and Queen Elizabeth that was so beautiful is their ability to have patience with each other. Prince Philip even said this himself. He said, we have learned that with our annoyances and the things that make each other tick about each other, that the best and greatest gift that we have given each other is to learn to be patient with one another, to forgive, to believe the best about the other. Hmm. Even when Prince Philip had to take a stand down while Queen Elizabeth became the queen, he said that was difficult for him, but he wanted to support her and be there for her, which is that third part, which is showing that appreciation, looking for the good in the other person and being there for them no matter what. That is another key to a successful marriage. There are a number of different components that you observed in their relationship. And these are components that, as people of faith, as Christians that would be tuning into this conversation, we see that this, this whole notion of commitment and having a high view of marriage, the notion of forgiveness, of believing the best in another person, these are all qualities that are consistent with the teachings of God's Word. Kimberly Holmes here on The Intersection. The website address for the organization is marriagehelper.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's wife, mother, author, and video vodcaster Kay Wyma. In our conversation, she shared her experience that inspired the book, The Peace Project, a 30-day experiment practicing thankfulness, kindness, and mercy and provided inspiration for how people can participate. Here now from that conversation is Kay Wyma. I'm going to say that with these, just putting them into practice, even for, you know, try it today. Just yeah. do it today and just see what it does because it's pretty amazing. And if you can do this for 30 days, it's so powerful. And, and again, it's not like do it or don't do it. You're going to, it, it will benefit you 
any time you do it. And, um, and part of the reason why, you know, you, you, we have neural pathways in our brain. And it's sort of like when you practice these things, the reason why it has such a great impact is because you actually can, can create new brain connections hmm. and new connectors. Yeah, it's fascinating. They actually contribute to the formation of synapses, and, um, which, is, which have an impact on our skills, our attitudes, and our knowledge. And so when we do these things, not just thinking about them, but actually practicing them, you're creating neural pathways in your brain that hopefully, how cool would it be if that was our superhighway? To actually, when, when, we're, when our brain goes to these ruts, what if it went to a rut that actually builds you up then, then tears you down or takes you to places of fear or worry or anxiety where those, those roads are highly traveled in our brains? And, and I'm like, well, you know, of course, Scripture says so. <laughs> you know, transform your thoughts and make mm-hmm. them obedient to me. And, and it's like, what? We could do this? And, and the peace that comes is the part that it's very hard to put words on because it's so powerful. And I, I just can't even tell you what this has done for us um, just to be able to weather some pretty significant curveballs and to be able to do it where the curveballs happen. Good stuff happens, bad stuff happens. But to be able to have a steady level of joy that is pervasive in the midst is significant and it's good and it allows us to see beyond ourselves even when we're the ones that are beating ourselves up well and as you mentioned scripture teaches so well actually scripture teaches so much to us and uh, when we look at at changing these these attitudes and responding in a graceful and a merciful manner that's obviously something that is consistent with Scripture. So how does the presence of God and His Word help to enable us to walk with this sense of peace? Well, I think, you know, when you're hitting something like thankfulness, I think we can all do that just on our own. Like, I can sit there, you can tell me any day, well, if you hit a situation, start remembering what you're thankful for. And, um, and there's science to prove why that is powerful in your brain. And that's why there's so many thankful journals and things like that, because it is proven that that's actually helpful for us. Everybody. Kindness, it's like that primes the pump to be able to do acts of kindness, which are the action points. And, and Bob, it's really the mercy pieces, the compassion, because the definition of mercy is actually to... Um, it's compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone who it is within one's power to punish or harm, like even ourselves. And that's, you know, the Oxford definition. And so to be able to connect with those very deep soul issues, like compassion, like grace, like forgiveness, those are not things we do in our own power. Like mm. I just, that, that we can't muster because you're actually connecting with the one who is those things. And, and there lies this ability, not in our strength, um, because we're not, that's not a part of us. Like, that's the supernatural aspect of the Lord working through, which I, I have found actually makes Scripture come alive. The key part um, that we've also found to be able to legitimately do these things is only from the, a place where your significance has already been settled. Because I think that's what happens in discord and unsettledness. We aren't, we're allowing something else to opine on our worth or dignity and our, or even our identity. 
And the only way to be able to function in wholeness is to actually believe the things that he says about us, you know, that you are chosen, that you are seen, that you are known, that you are loved, um, that you're a treasure, you know, that you're a masterpiece, all of which are explicitly spoken by him over us in scripture. And, um, and so me believing that I can struggle with it. Like it's hard to believe those things about ourselves, believing and trusting to the point where you act on it actually puts, puts a lot of meat on those bones. Kay Wyma here on the intersection. You can find out more by going to kwyma.com. We are nearing the end of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find that link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the Intersection Podcast. Also, there are links to the podcast, including the iTunes link, Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House, and the other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You can also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. There's also a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of The Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.